do people in Switzerland whistle? Whistle? You mean whistling? <laughs> like whistling? <laughs> <like, laughs> why did you ask that? Hello, this is Joseph Scholz. Welcome to the Deep Culture Podcast, where we explore culture and the science of mind. I am here in Tokyo, where the weather is heating up, and I'm speaking today with Yvonne Vanderpol. How are you, Yvonne? Hi, Joseph. Wonderful to be here again. I'm fine, and the weather is not only heating up on your side, also here in the Netherlands, where I'm based. Uh, it's quite warm today. Well, I've had a busy week, but I'm looking forward to this chance to hang out with you and talk about things. So what is our topic for today, Yvonne? Well, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts dilemma. The do's and don'ts dilemma. So what is the do's and don'ts dilemma? Well, it's something that many intercultural trainers might experience. It happens to many of us. It's a request for a training that focuses on cultural etiquettes or do's and don'ts. And then a client, for instance, comes to me and says, well, my team is going to be working in Tanzania, so I would like to give them a training. Just the basics, you know, what they need to hit the ground running. So this is a dilemma, right? Because for someone who's going to be working in Tanzania who doesn't have experience with that, just learning some tips or tricks will not really help them that much. That fact that they recognize that they need preparation is good, uh, but it's very superficial. And so the dilemma is, how do I tell the customer that what they're asking for is quite superficial and might not help them actually? Also, the request itself has assumptions that you don't agree with. In this case, the request kind of assumes that knowing some cultural etiquette is all you really need. Yes, and as a cultural bridge person, you know that's not true. But the question itself takes me in a direction that I don't want to go. And it's a dilemma because the person asking may be sincerely trying to do the right thing, um, but simply have simplistic ideas. So the do's and don'ts dilemma is actually quite profound. We also found this problem in everyday life when someone says something rather naive about cultural difference. So in the end, the do's and don'ts dilemma is about this question. How do you go from a more surface understanding of culture to a deeper understanding? And that brings us to part one. Do they whistle in Switzerland? Before we get into anything theoretical, we should give some more examples of the do's and don'ts dilemma, Joseph. Okay, good idea. Um, of course, this dilemma isn't just for intercultural trainers talking about cultural etiquette. You can have this dilemma anytime someone is talking about culture in a simplistic way. Okay, and do you have an example? <laughs> uh, when I was about 18, I remember that I became friends with a Swiss guy, I was living in San Diego at the time and he was visiting. And I remember once asking him, do people in Switzerland whistle? Whistle, you mean whistling? <laughs> like, whistle, like <laughs> <laughs> and you ask that, why did 
did you ask that? I was thinking, well, this guy is pretty serious. Maybe Swiss people are are pretty serious. You know, he should loosen up a little bit. And somehow I thought that whistling is something that easygoing people do. So I guessed that if he told me that people in Switzerland don't whistle, that I could confirm that Swiss people are serious. <laughs> it's interesting how it worked. It's an impossible question. Yeah. Yeah, he just well, he just he just shook his head and looked at me like I was crazy. Oh wow, understandable. You meant well, but you had a really naive understanding of cultural difference. Do you have any other examples? Well, someone once said to me, hey, Joseph, you've been to a lot of foreign places uh, and I've been thinking about doing some foreign travel. So I was wondering, where is good? Wow. Where is good? <laughs> where is good? Like where, <laughs> like there's our country and then there are foreign places. And if I'm going to go to one of those foreign places, where is good to go? <laughs> what do you say? There's, it's a very simple mental category that this person is using. It's, you know, home or here and then foreign. So, Yvonne, do you have any examples? Well, the most frequently asked question to me is, is everyone in Amsterdam smoking marijuana? <laughs> There's quite a negative assumption built in there. And it also occurs to me that you get very difficult questions when you come back from a trip. For example, someone will say, oh, so how was China? Like, as though you can answer <laughs> about China or about the Chinese experience there in, in a sentence or something. So the point we need to ask is, why do some people have such simple or stereotypical attitudes about cultural difference? And this is something that we have talked about on this podcast before, uh, in particular in the Bias is Not Bias episode. In, in that episode, we talked about how the human mind is biased by nature. Yes, we naturally jump to conclusions. We take mental shortcuts. We simplify complex problems. And we're biased in favor of those that are similar to us. And we easily overlook diversity in outgroups. So in that sense, having stereotypical or simplistic attitudes towards cultural difference is natural. Of course, the fact that it's natural doesn't mean that it's good, but we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if anything, having an intercultural perspective is unnatural. It's not kind of the, the default setting of the human mind. We need to be able to explain the difference between a shallow or surface cultural understanding and deeper cultural understanding. Well, one thing that helped me with that was the idea of differentiation. So people who have very limited experience with cultural differences have very simple categories in their mind that they are using to differentiate. Going back to the Netherlands again, if you've never been there and only have an image of windmills, tulips, wooden shoes, marijuana, <laughs> that's the image that will come to mind when you hear about Holland or the Netherlands. They cannot really differentiate much because they have so little experience. They're not even where to map it in the Europe map. Your mental categories to think about a country are simplistic. 
just like my question about whistling in Switzerland, and we have all had the experience of asking naive questions because we don't know something about a topic. Right. So that's the case. And it reminds us that the do's and don'ts dilemma is natural. It's often a reflection of a shallow level of cultural understanding. The question then becomes, what's the difference between surface and deep understanding? And that brings us to part two, more than kissing, bowing, and shaking hands. The title of part two is Don't Just Kiss, Bow, and Shake Hands, Joseph. We need to explain that title, don't you think? I think so. Uh, it may sound familiar to some of you. There is a very well-known or pretty well-known book that's called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands, How to Do Business in 60 Countries. Uh, it's a guide to cultural customs uh, around the world. And of course, the title refers to the different customs for greetings. In Japan, you bow. In the U.S., you shake hands. In France, uh, you might kiss on the cheek. Well, actually, I don't have a copy of that book, but I know it has cultural tips and tricks, things to remember if you're going to be doing business in a foreign country. And it's really well done, but culture and cultural difference cannot be explained with information or by giving rules. Okay, but maybe some other listeners are thinking, well, what's wrong with cultural tips and tricks? We need to know that stuff, right? Well, certainly. If you're going to a foreign country, you want to know some basic courtesies. You know, you should know that in some countries, the left hand is considered unclean. Or if you're visiting Thailand, you should avoid sitting with your feet pointing at the altar of a temple. Yes, it's good to know those things. So do's and don'ts can be useful. But talking about culture in terms of rules... In terms of behavior that you should or shouldn't do, you won't get very far, huh? Well, for example, one common piece of advice that people going to Japan get is, well, in Japan, present your business card with both hands. I've heard that often. Is that a good <laughs> advice, Joseph? Well, it's, it's good advice as far as it goes, but it actually doesn't go very far. First of all, it's only useful to you in situations where you exchange business cards. And visitors to Japan spend only 0.000078% of their time exchanging business cards. That's an interesting percentage. Where does it come from? <laughs> I, I, I made it up. It's, uh, it's what a Joseph. You made it up? Are you serious? My, the Joseph Made It Up Institute. But what the point is, the point is that we spend very little time in Japan exchanging business cards. And so this kind of advice doesn't actually help you uh, in most situations. So the deeper problem is that this rule about how to act doesn't tell you the deeper meaning behind business card etiquette. But what is the deeper meaning you are talking about? How would you define the difference between surface and deep cultural understanding? Well, from the brain and mind perspective, cultural understanding is a form of pattern recognition. It's the ability to understand what people say and do know their intentions, the way they think, 
in Japanese, this is sometimes referred to as reading the air. So when you're in a familiar environment, you know what things mean and what's expected of you. So if you're in a foreign environment, you often can't read the air. So in the case of someone who's going to work in Tanzania, a list of do's and don'ts won't help them understand all of the subtleties they will find when interacting with the people over there. Right. People are complex. Situations are complex. Expectations are complex. Culture is complex. And all that complexity takes time to understand. And from the brain-mind perspective, the ability to read a complex situation is intuitive. It comes from experience. We get a feel for what things mean. It's not conscious knowledge. It's largely unconscious knowledge. And you simply can't teach that in a half-day seminar. And that's ultimately why do's and don'ts dilemma is so hard for intercultural trainers. They understand that giving a list of etiquettes won't take you very far. And not only that, it can give you a false sense of confidence. So that's good. We've figured out why my naive question about whistling in Switzerland was a sign <laughs> of my simplistic thinking. And we've also seen that do's and don'ts can never capture the complexity of culture. But we could go even deeper. We could ask the question, are there levels of intercultural understanding? Which brings us to part three, just give me the facts. So here's the funny thing. We've asked this very difficult sounding question. Are there levels of intercultural understanding? Yes, and there are certainly lots of terms floating around like intercultural awareness, cultural intelligence. Intercultural sensitivity. Um, critical awareness, interculturality, you name it. And there are models such as the developmental model of intercultural sensitivity, the DMIS. To be honest, just thinking about all these models and words, I find all of these terms hard to tell apart. I think that the listeners of this podcast, they already understand different levels of intercultural understanding, even if they aren't familiar with any of that terminology. Uh -huh. I, I see where, where we're going with this, because after all, we were just saying that intercultural understanding is intuitive. It's something we have a feel for. Imagine you're at a party, nice atmosphere, and you're chatting with a small group of four people. And the topic of foreign travel comes up. And you talk about your plan to visit a foreign country. Let's say you're going to Albonia. Albonia? <laughs> Doesn't sound like a real country to me. No, it's not, it's not a real country. It's a... It's from a comic strip, Dilbert. But anyway, okay. uh, let's imagine you're, you say you're going to Albonia and you ask these people at the party, what do you think I need to understand the culture of Albonia? 
and each one of them gives you a different answer. Okay. So, and this is where the test comes in. The question for you, dear listeners, is to rank these four answers from simplest to most sophisticated. Burke says, hmm, you need to understand the cultural do's and don'ts in Elbonia. And Juna says, oh, you need to learn to look at things from the Elbonian perspective. And Gilma says, you need to get all the facts and figures about Elbonia. And Milpo says, well, you need to have a critical understanding of the Elbonian worldview compared to other places. So let me just give that to you again. Burke says you need to understand the cultural do's and don'ts. Juna says you need to learn to look at things from the Elbonian perspective. Gilma says you need to get all the facts and figures about Elbonia. And Milpo says you need to have a critical understanding of the Elbonian worldview compared to other places. And what I found really fascinating uh, is that when we do this exercise with cultural bridge people, we have extremely similar answers. Number one, the least sophisticated is Jilma. You need to get all the facts and figures about Albonia. Number two, Burke, you need to understand the cultural do's and don'ts in Albonia. Already a little bit more sophisticated. Number three then, Juna, you need to learn to look at things from the Albonian perspective. And then number four, the most sophisticated level is Milpo. You need to have a critical understanding of the Albonian worldview compared to other places. And I'll bet that even if your answers weren't exactly the same as this list, you understood, for example, that you need to look at things from the Elbonian perspective was a more sophisticated way of looking at culture or cultural difference than you need to get the facts and figures about Elbonia. Yet how did you know? How did you know which was sophisticated? Well, you had a feeling for it based on what they said. Yeah, and that means that you probably weren't doing a step-by-step -step analysis. You weren't using intercultural concepts that you learned. You were using your intuitive mind. You were using your deep cultural understanding that you have gained as a cultural bridge person. And if you try this with people who have very little international experience, you get different answers because their perceptions are different and they're based on their more limited understanding. Yeah, so to come back to our question, it was, are there different levels of intercultural understanding? And we're trying here to convince you that there are and that you already have a feeling for that, even if you don't have a conceptual understanding. So what are these levels that we're talking about? I mean, there are different models that you can use to understand levels of intercultural understanding. Well, the model we use is called the Developmental Model of Lingua Culture Learning, the DMLL. It was created using something called Dynamic Skills Theory. Yeah, and that 
may sound a little technical and there is some theory involved. So we're not going to go into that uh, in today's podcast. But we're planning to do that in a future podcast. But for now, we'll just give you a snapshot, the basic idea of the DMLL, so that you can understand this party example. Yes, indeed. Well, the DMLL has four levels, I1, I2, I3, and I4. And the I I refers to integrating new things into the self. Those levels relate to the way the brain learns complex skills. Well, and that could be any complex skill, like tennis or cooking, new language, or new cultural understanding. Learning a complex skill requires more than simply adding new knowledge bit by bit. For example, learning a new language is not just learning more and more words. And learning about a foreign culture is not just about learning more facts and new facts. You need to make increasingly complex mental structures. So the four levels at the party represent an increasingly complex understanding of culture. Gilma is interested in facts and figures. Those are individual bits of knowledge. Burke wants to know the cultural do's and don'ts. Those are rules. Juna is interested in the Elbonian perspective. That's much more complex. It requires looking at culture in a complex, dynamic way. And Milpo wants a critical understanding of the Elbonian worldview. That's even more complex than understanding the Elbonian perspective. Exactly. You may start by simply adding bits of information, but then you need to connect those bits in a meaningful way. And then at a certain point, things come together at a higher level. Like with a language, you're not just learning words, you start making sentences, and then eventually things start to come together and almost like magic, you're speaking the language as a dynamic system. Yeah, like that's the Duna level. He's looking at culture in a complex and dynamic way, as a way of looking at the world. And finally, the fourth level is a meta level of understanding, when the language speaker becomes the language teacher, or when you understand culture, not just from a new perspective, but from multiple perspectives. Okay, Vaughn, so we've gone through these four levels, but let's relate all of this back to where we started, which was this idea of customers that ask you for do's and don'ts. Yeah, indeed. And in fact, what they're asking for is the I2 level or the mapping level of intercultural understanding. They're looking for these uh, rules uh, because that's how they are thinking about cultural difference. And they either haven't experienced or haven't fully realized that cultural understanding requires a systems level understanding to go to this deeper level where you actually enter into a new worldview. You gain a sense for the local perspective. You can then see that culture cannot be reduced to rules, that culture is dynamic and complex. Wow. We've come a long way from uh, whether they whistle in Switzerland. (laughs) 
but it's time to wrap up. And I wanted to thank you today, Yvonne, for sharing this time with me. It was a joy to be here. And thank you all listeners to be with us and, and also do the exercise with us. I'm sure you did. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun too. The Deep Culture Podcast is sponsored by the Japan Intercultural Institute, an NPO dedicated to intercultural education and research. I am the director of JII. If you're interested in culture and the mind, check out JII's Brain, Mind, and Culture Masterclass. It's a blended learning course. Uh, it's an online community for cultural bridge people. Uh, Yvonne and I are both facilitators for that. To find out more, just do a web search for the Japan Intercultural Institute. If you liked today's episode, we'd really like to hear from you. Leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or write us at dcpodcast at japanintercultural.org. Thanks to our sound engineer, Robinson Fritz, and everyone at JII. And thank you once again, Yvonne, for sharing this time with yeah, me. Thank you, Joseph. All right. See you all next time. <laughs>